last message in the series that we've been going over, and that's reaching people for Jesus. And today I wanted to spend some time really pointing out that each and every one of you in this room are a light. You are a light shining brightly for Jesus. The scriptures, a city on a hill. And the reality is, is that the world is getting darker and darker every single day. I don't know if you have you guys noticed it? Things are getting a little bit darker, things are falling apart, things it seems it seems like things are just getting crazy and getting worse. So the question is, if that's the case, if things are getting darker, how can we make an impact? How can we make an impact in this world? Because a little secret, if you didn't know it, that's what you're here for. We don't just get saved to sit on our blessed assurance. We get saved so that we can make an impact in this world. Amen? We get saved so that we can tell people. The, the, the whole purpose, our, our primary mission, our primary goal is to tell people about Jesus. Because it's something that they need. It's something they 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 are and they are have just as much of a right and an availability to the hope that we have inside of us. So how can we make an impact in this world? If that's what our purpose is, how can we make an impact? And the truth is, is that standing on a street corner and yelling is starting to lose its effectiveness. Knocking on doors is starting to lose its effectiveness. And I know that's not the case in every community, but in many communities it is. I mean, now you see jokes about it in, in, in TV shows and stuff. You know, people are answering the door and, and you know, I don't care if you're selling Girl Scout cookies or you or you're, want to tell me about your religion. I'm just not interested. People don't want you knocking on their doors. There's many people that seem to be pushing back and pushing away. And really, if we look at what's going on around us, the culture of our, of our, of our country right now seems to be walking away from God as fast as they can. So today I want to really look at what is a practical approach that we can take to be this light to the world. What, is, what are some things that we can do to actually be shining brightly and make an impact in people's lives? Today's kind of going to be a, a little bit of a practical approach on how to do that. Because here's the thing about light. light is always, if light, the light is on, it's always shining, right? Light is always shining but it can be modified. It can be distorted. It can be blocked off. It can be colored. It can be filtered. You can do all kinds of cool stuff with light. It's actually always really neat to me when we see even like these little lights that we have up here. In order to make these colors change, there's only three colors of lights in there. There's red, green, and blue. But depending on which ones I turn on, it changes the color to be blue or yellow. Or It's amazing how light can be adjusted and filtered and work. You shine light through a, a red filtered piece of plastic and it turns the light red. Or have you ever noticed when you look into a fish tank, like stuff doesn't line up correctly? Like if you stick, you know, you stick the little thing to catch a fish and it goes in like this, but then when you look in the water, now it's like over like an inch. Like it doesn't even connect. How is it all messed up? Because light can be bended. It can be filtered. Light can magnify stuff. In photography, um, we use, hey, how's it going? In photography, we use uh, filters to, to change what the picture looks like. Do you guys remember my, my stepdad at one point had a really nice uh, camera set? And, and uh, what he did was is he had all these kind of uh, weird filters you'd put on the end. It would make like prisms. And, you know, you'd take a picture of somebody that would be like kaleidoscope looking pictures around them. Or do you remember when we'd have stuff like in photography where you'd have like a head floating by itself over here because you could modify the light with these filters to do weird things with them? 
And just the other day, I was talking to people, and they're, they're taking pictures with their camera. Anybody ever taken pictures with your cell phone camera, and they come out all fuzzy and blurry, and you're like, why can't they focus? It's because you got grease all over your camera lens. And what it does is it makes that dreamy effect. So one of the cheap ways that a photographer can make that dreamy, like, uh, uh, hazy look is, is we would smear Vaseline over the end of our lenses. And it makes it so that the picture is super soft and it makes skin tones look amazing. But most of the time, if it's on your phone, you don't want it. Wipe that thing off every now and then. And then even glasses are designed to, to bend light so that we can see better. I went a really long time trying to hold off and not wear glasses. My whole family wears glasses. My mom and dad you know, they wear Coke bottle glasses. My sister's been wearing glasses since she was in, in high school. And, and uh, I was the one, like, I, I had like 2015 vision. I could see amazingly. And I'm like, man, I missed it. But then as I was getting into my, my uh, early 30s, I started noticing that I was getting headaches. And one of my eyes was starting to give up on me and get all kind of fuzzy and blurry. So I finally went and said, all right, I'm going to go get glasses. So a couple things that I found out when I got this very pair of glasses that I'm wearing right now is one because of one eye being worse than the other. I was relying really hard on one eye and kind of just ignoring everything. So my depth perception, like when I got glasses, like I could see in 3D. It was amazing. I could see it, everything wasn't flat. I didn't realize it was happening. And the other thing that was weird, and I almost stopped wearing glasses because of it, is because my prescriptions were different in both eyes. When I would look at anything that was square, the left side would be way bigger than the right side. Everything looked like a trapezoid. It was bizarre. So I'm like freaking out. I'm online trying to find out if, if anybody has seen this. And nobody, like there's nothing. You would think people would talk about this because I can't be the only one that's ever happened to. And it took about two or three weeks and my brain sorted everything out. So I'm like, that's cool. The problem is now when I take my glasses off, everything's big on the right side and it only works right when my glasses are on. But that's the thing about glasses is they take the light that's coming in and they distort it. They shape it so that we can see things correctly. So what happened when I first got these glasses, my depth perception wasn't quite right. I couldn't see it. And we're all sitting, getting stuff ready for the was it the was it the Easter or it was Easter, right? We're stuffing Easter eggs with candy. And this was when back when Joseph had an epic mustache. This is, you know, I can't grow a beard. This is it. This is what I get. So I usually have to live vicariously through through other people's beards because I can't have one. But Joseph used to have a killer beard, but at this point he just has a mustache. And he's taking all the candy. He's not putting it in the eggs. He's like putting it in his pocket. And he's, he's taking, he's, I'm like, Joseph, what are you doing? And he's like, this is my stash. And I'm like, no, that's not your stash. This is your stash. And I went to point out his mustache, but my depth perception was all messed up. So I just run my finger across his face like this <laughs> because I went too far. Because the light was getting bent with my glasses. It wasn't the same as it used to be. And you should have saw the look on his face. He had no idea what I was doing. Not that I, he just had this horrified look on his face as I just brushed his mustache. Joseph's stash. You see, light can be altered and light can be changed, but light is, when it's on, it's always shining. And when people see us, the question we have to ask, are they seeing the pure light of Jesus? Are they seeing light that's been filtered or distorted? Are they seeing a light that looks nothing like Jesus at all anymore? Does it look like they're looking through some murky water and everything's messed up? Are they seeing Jesus inside of us? 
That's the, the, the reality is, is we are a light. So let's take a look at how we can make sure that we are shining the way that we're supposed to be for Jesus. The first verse I want to look at today is Acts 13, 47. It says, For the, so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So I've made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is actually quoting from Isaiah 49.6. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. See, this verse is actually referring to the Messiah. It's referring to Jesus. And basically, God is saying that, you know what? The Jews, the reaching the Jews is too small a thing for me. I want to reach the entire world. And the reality is, is that this was always the plan for salvation. It's true that, that the Jews were God's chosen people, but God didn't want it to end there. The plan was always for everyone else to be brought into the fold. Matter of fact, the Jews were supposed to be evangelizing in their day and bringing people into the fold as well, into God's family. It was always the plan for the entire earth to take part in salvation. And church, I want you to know that you are an extension of that light, the light to the Gentiles. You are an extension of that. And Christ in us is a light that, that we should be shining on the rest of the world, not to point out their flaws. We don't have a light to point out where people are failing, but instead, it's a light to bring people home. You see, the Jews had rejected the, the message of Jesus. So Paul turned to the Gentiles to be a light to them. So the question is, when you think about this, I love the Bible because it's so simple. It's, it's not difficult to understand. The Bible isn't mysterious. If you think about it, we're a light. Well, what do we use light for? Well, one of the things we use light for is to guide the way. Even from the beginning, sailors would use the North Star to, to use that as a compass, a way to get home. They used that light as a way to guide their path. And from, since the days we've had boats on the water, we've had lighthouses shining out to guide sailors as they're getting close to land. The other thing we use light for is to illuminate a path to light up the area around us. You know, it's funny, my wife has to have light on no matter where we're going. Like, we're going to bed at night. Our bed's on one end of the hall, the door to the bathroom's on the other. And it's funny, because when she's getting ready to go to bed, she's got to have the light on the whole time, and she's right at the light here. And if she can get me to go turn it off, she will, but otherwise, she's like... <laughs> into the bed! I, it's amazing. It's funny. She just can't go through the room with the dark off because she, she wants that light to illuminate the path because she swears something's going to get her. She still won't hang her feet off the edge of the bed. Something will get her. But we use, we use light to illuminate the path to wherever we're going. And I don't know if any of you have ever been hiking at night, but if you don't have a flashlight to see where you're going, you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to stumble. And the other thing we use light for is to quell fear, right? Just like I talked with my wife. But I remember when I was a kid, I tried to do the same thing. I would leave the bathroom light on so there was a little light coming in through my door because it made me feel comfortable to have light on. And finally, we use light to be able to see. That's just the obvious thing light's used for, right? Because if there's no light, 
than you can't see. I was actually just looking online yesterday and I found out they just found a new material that absorbs 99.98% of the light that hits it. It's the blackest black you'll ever see. It's a material that when you shine light on it, nothing comes back. So you can have objects made out of that. And if you have them side by side, you can tell there's two different objects. But as they rotate in front of one another, because there's no light to reflect back to have any kind of contours, it just looks like they blend in together. Without light, we can't see. When something absorbs all the light, we can't see it. It's pitch black. It's like when you go into a, uh, your, your bedroom or your closet and you turn all the lights off and it's just, you can't see anything. Light is required for sight. And we have a light that we can shine to the world. And in Matthew 5.13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salt? How shall it salt? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt's an interesting thing. But salt is primarily used for two things. It's used for preservation. Right before refrigerators, that's how they kept meat good is they, they salted it so it didn't go bad. And then it's used to bring something to its full potential. Anybody ever watch Gordon Ramsay? What is he always yelling about? Stuff not being seasoned. Stuff, it's not seasoned. It tastes bland. Really what he's talking about is they didn't use enough salt. Because salt is used to bring out the full potential of the flavor of food. Salt is used to make, make something rise up. And you, know, you can have a piece of meat with, with no salt and with salt on it. And the difference of having salt in it makes a world of difference in the taste. Matter of fact, if you want to become a better cook, more than likely all you have to do is start adding more salt to your food right now and your food will taste better. And what I think is funny about this thing, he says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be, shall its saltiness be restored? This is almost like Paul making a reference to something that's impossible. Salt, by definition, is salty. That's where we come up with the word. Salt, salt doesn't become unsalty. Salt is always salty. So really, uh, uh, he's bringing up a, a ridiculous thing right here. He's saying, if salt loses its taste, Jesus is asking, if salt loses its taste, what is it good for? And he's almost pointing out, it's like this is an impossible thing to happen. This should never happen. It should never be on the table. But he says, you are the salt of the earth. You not being salty should never happen. You not having, being able to bring something to its full potential should never happen. It's, it's absurd to think that a Christian wouldn't be salty. And without our salt, without Christ inside of us, what are we even here for? So the, the, the practical thing about this is how do we remain salty? How do we not fall into that ridiculous circumstance of salt not being salty? And practically, there's three ways that we remain salty in this earth. One, it's with how we speak. The words that you say are so very important. And you can speak words of life or you can speak words of death into people's life. The other way is, is how we act. You ever heard the saying, actions speak louder than words? That's where we run into a lot of Christians being called hypocritical because they say one thing, but they do a completely different thing. But finally, and probably the most important thing that you need to do to remain salty 
is to remain consistent. You can't do one thing on Sunday but live the rest of your life a different way. You're either a Christian or you're not. It's not about a a specific day. You either live like one or you don't. Probably one of the greatest ways that we can do damage to the church is when we live one way on Sunday, but we live a different way on Tuesday. Because people look and say, why do I want to be a part of that? You're just like everybody else. You're just like everybody else except for you're supposed to feel guilty, I guess. And Christianity doesn't look very appealing at that point because they're not seeing. You're saying, hey, you want me to become a Christian because you say that something's going to be different. You say that my life can change, but I look at your life and it looks just like mine, except for really it looks kind of worse. Why would I want to be a Christian? So we need to watch how we speak and how we act and remain consistent. Amen? Ephesians 5, 3-4 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. But let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. This talks about how we speak, what it looks like to speak like a Christian. Did you know that you're a saint? The Bible says that we're saint. If you're saved, you're a saint. It's an identity. That's what the Bible refers to you as. And it's all it means. It's those that are set apart. It's an identity. It's who we are. And we can begin to see who we are. You can begin to take a look at somebody's character by two really important things. What makes them laugh and what makes them cry. Really, with those two indicators, you can see what kind of a character a person has. And one of the ones that you can make the most impact is what makes you laugh at work. When you're at work and somebody's telling a sexual dirty joke, are you right in there with them laughing with them or are you backing away? Are you showing them that that's that's what you're all about? Are you being inconsistent? Or are you the ones even telling the jokes? Now, I'm not saying that when people are doing that kind of stuff, we need to point out what they're doing wrong. We need to. The truth is, if if they're not Christians and you expect them to act like a Christian, you're a fool. Our, Our job is not to point out how wrong people are or the stuff that they're doing is awful, but you can still make a stand. People can still know where you stand. There's people in this room that have worked with me for a long time and and can tell you that's how I've behaved. I never made anybody feel bad for what they were doing, but I didn't participate. Or do you attack people with your tongue? That's another one. As Christians, we shouldn't be talking down about people. This is probably one of the areas that I can struggle with sometime in my own personal life because sometimes people can drive you crazy. And there are times when I want to shake the Jesus into people. Have you ever wanted to shake the Jesus into, into a person? But the truth is that, that if, if we laugh at those kind of jokes, if we, if we treat people like that, if we talk to them like that, then we're not shining brightly for Jesus. We're shining. Don't get me wrong. As soon as you claim to be a Christian, you're always shining. 
You're all when people people will take and attribute whatever you do to Jesus. So the question is, are they seeing what Jesus really looks like? Are they getting a false impression of who he is? The reality is, is people should know where you stand on these issues. Not because you're talking down to them or, or, or making them feel bad. But people should just know where you stand on these issues. By the way that you live your life, by the way that you speak, by the way that you act. I mean, something to think about. Has anybody at your work ever heard you thank Jesus for something? Think about that. Has anybody ever heard you say that? Sometimes we might say it, but we don't want anybody to hear, so we go off to the side and say it. But the truth is, is that we should be who we are all the time in front of everybody. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you encourage people at your job? Are you lifting people up? Are you coming alongside them when they're having a hard time? Do you help them both physically but also emotionally and encourage them? Or are you a complainer about the job, about your coworkers, about the boss? I know I can fall into that sometimes. That's one of the hardest ones. It's so hard for me to, to especially depending on the job. I've had some jobs where all I wanted to do was complain. And sometimes I fell into that. But really, we have a choice to make. Do we continue doing that or do we, do we come out of it? Do we change where we're at? The truth is, if you mess up, apologize. People aren't looking for you to mess up when you say that you're a Christian. Actually, I think most people are relieved that you are who you say you are. I mean, there's been times where I was at work and something happened and a curse word slipped out. You mean you cuss, Pastor? I don't try to, but it's happened on occasion. That's not who I am, but it's happened on occasion. And the first thing I do is I apologize to those around me. Because that's shining brightly for Jesus to realize that, look, as Christians, none of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. But stand up and say you're sorry. Admit that you made a mistake. And continue to shine brightly for Jesus. Because that's the difference between a hypocrite and someone that's not. Because a hypocrite will say, don't do that, and then do it, and don't think anything about it. But when we do something we say we're not supposed to do, we recognize it. the reality is is that your words have power your words have power to make a difference in somebody's life what are you using yours for have you ever prayed for somebody have you ever encouraged somebody i still think it's funny there's one of my old jobs there was this gal she knew that i was a pastor she knew that i was a, a christian and and she would come up and she would ask me to pray about something that was going on and I always thought it was funny because she would come up and say, hey, such and such is happening. Would you pray for them? And one day I decided, you know what? I'm going to stop doing the, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. Anybody ever said that? Like, I'll, I'll pray for you. And, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. You forget about it later. I decided, you know, when somebody asks me to pray for them, I'm going to do it right then and there. So she came up and she asked me. So I said, all right, let's pray right now. And we prayed right there. And, and she was kind of, I could tell she was kind of weirded out by it. And then a little while later, this is a few weeks later, she walks up and, hey, so-and-so, uh, this is going on. Will you pray for, pray for them? And I'm like, yeah, let's pray right now. 
And we prayed, and she felt uncomfortable, and she never asked me to pray for her anymore. <laughs> but the reality is, is that, that people are going to know who I am, and I'm going to use my words to make a difference, and I'm not going to be embarrassed about Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is that does make an impact. That does have power. I've prayed with people in the middle of, of, of uh, the furniture store before. People ask for prayer. We just, we just go ahead and do it right then, because our words make a difference. And let your words show that you are a Christian, that you are who you say you are. And then in Acts 7, 1 through 4 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and prov- proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. When the opportunity arises, the next thing we need to do is use our mouth to tell people about Jesus. We need to take every opportunity to tell people. Now, the truth is, is that if you're at work, there might be some stipulations where you can't do it all the time. Uh, You may not be able to bring it up first because HR might have something to say with you. But when the opportunity arises, what what I love here is that Paul on the Sabbath, went into the temples and he reasoned with them. Because that was an opportunity. They were already looking at the Scriptures. They were already looking at those things. They already were were dealing with that. I love that Paul used his opportunities to share the Gospel. And for us today, beating people over the head with a Bible is not going to accomplish anything, but opportunities will arise, particularly if you're living your life in such a way that people see something that they want. They're going to say, hey, how come you don't ever get stressed out about money? Or, hey, how come you always seem to be relaxed about everything? And, hey, how come you seem to just be, no matter what happens, you just have this, this, this even demeanor? They're going to see those things. They're going to see that going on, and they'll ask something, and it can make a difference. And when we have the opportunity, then we can tell them about Jesus, and we can tell them that there is hope. We tell them that Jesus died so that they lived. You know, most people are aware of their shortcomings. And most people understand justice. And they know that they're missing something, even if they won't admit it. Most people inherently know this stuff. So answer their questions, if they have them. Write their misconceptions, if they have them. You know, one of the things that I I hear so often is people get so upset because they think the church just wants your money. And I'm like, that's not true. We want way more than your money. We want your house. We want your wife. We want, your, we want everything about you to be sold out for Jesus. But it's not, we're not here to take your money so we can get rich. Lord knows that's not what I'm here. I've been doing this for four and a half years for free. Right now, I just get paid in stress. But, uh, you know, the truth is, is we're not here for money. We're here to, for your soul because we care about people's well-being we do it because we care about who they are one of the things that we talked about earlier as part of this series was how valuable people really were how valuable they are to jesus and how valuable they should be to us and if people are valuable to you then you'll do whatever it takes to make sure that they are kept safe kept safe and protected particularly from an eternity without god And when you have the opportunity, ask that store clerk if they need prayer. Ask your waiter if they go to church. 
I love how this says that Paul went in as was his custom. That meant that this just wasn't a a one-off thing. This was who Paul was. This was his character. This was what Paul was about, and it should be what we're about as well. Amen? I don't know why these keep changing and looking different. (laughs) Matthew 25, 34-40 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me you see the next part is the act part we looked at the scripture a few weeks ago but now i want to really point out the difference between what we just looked at which was the words coming out of our mouth which is important but we also need to be followed up by action people that just talk and don't do anything really aren't thought of very highly if we say that we're Christians and we believe these things, there should be actions in our life that follow them up. That's the whole reason that James said that, that you have faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. It's not that works save you. Your actions aren't going to save you, but as a result of who you are, as a result of, of, of what you believe, it will influence your actions. The reason we go to work every day is because we believe that they're going to cut us a paycheck at the due time. If we didn't believe that they were going to pay us, I don't think we would go in. I know I wouldn't. Because of our beliefs, it influences our actions. So the same thing is true as Christians. If we believe that God loves people and He made a way for them, and we also believe if they don't receive Jesus, that they are are. are are going to hell, that they're not going to have everlasting life, then it should influence our actions and spur us on to share with people. And it's not just that. I mean, as Christians, we should be showing people Christ's love in everything that we do. We should be generous people. People should know that they could come to you for help. People should know that you're going to be there for them. Not just because you say you are, but because you've shown it time and time again. The reality is that actions speak louder than words. We can say all the right things, but if it's never backed up by actions, no one's ever going to believe the words that are coming out of our mouth. But the reality is is the inverse is true as well. When we treat other people badly, when we don't live like Christians, they're going to see our words as just hot air. And the reality is is they're not going to see the love of Christ in us. But the worst part is, is the way you act, they're still going to attribute to Christ. Why do I want to be a Christian when all you Christians act like that? The truth is, is that the Bible says that they will know us by our love. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how... We should be known as by our love. That should be our calling card, is our love. 
In Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the reality is, is that everything that we should do, or everything we do should be unto the Lord. We work for him. We don't work for our boss. We, everything that we do should be because of God. You being a good employee should be because you're working for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I personally believe that Christians should be the most sought-after employers, employees. And the reason I believe this is because if you're a Christian and you're living as a Christian, then you're going to work hard. You're going to make a difference. You're going to do what is asked of you. You're going to be a good employee because you're working for Him and not for yourself. We're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's funny, we don't understand that really today because in, in medieval times or even back then, you did something in the name of a king or in the name of, of someone who was over you. When you went out, you had their, their name attached to you. And we don't really get that today because about the only people that operate in that uh, uh, capacity is probably uh, police officers or maybe uh, court officials. Politicians are supposed to act in the name of the people, but that just doesn't happen anymore. But uh, the reality is, is that when, when we go out in the name of Jesus, we are representing Him. We're going out in His authority as an extension of Him. So there's great things about that because that means when we stand and we pray over somebody, we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We have His full authority, the authority of heaven behind us. And when we say be healed in the name of Jesus, that means that we have the full authority and strength behind us. It's amazing. That's when we do it in his name, we're representing him. But the hard part is is that that we're representing him no matter what. You actually see that today, if you think about it, you see that today there are a good number of police officers that just aren't very good people. And they're doing awful things. Many of them uh, have acted in racist ways, some of them have not. But it's automatically attributed to race because the problem is is that because those people have come out representing police officers and have made bad decisions, the world right now is attributing those characteristics to every single other police officer right now. It's actually a pretty awful thing because statistically the number of, of, of uh, police officers that are acting that way is probably pretty low in the scheme of things but they're making a bad name for the entire police department. And it's affecting how people perceive the police. I mean, you can see that big time today. There's a lot of people that have no respect for the police at all because of a few bad apples and really statistically just a few scattered around. You're foolish if you don't think that you're having that same kind of impact for Jesus Christ when we go out and act a fool as well. And in Acts 17, 5 through 6, this is where the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of, the, house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. People, the other thing is people should know who you are as a Christian. One of my favorite litmus test is if it were illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence 
to convict you. People should know that you're a Christian. It's not something that you should hide. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, then I would be ashamed of you before my Father. It's not something that we should hide. People should know who we are. They should know that you're a Christian. And if they know that, you need to live like one. I love how they referred to Paul and Silas as men who have turned the world upside down. Can anybody refer to you as something like that? Are you doing something that's making a difference? Or are you just somebody in cubicle 3B, just like everybody else? Are you one that's encouraging people, that's making an impact, showing the love of Christ, or do you look just like everybody else? One of the uh, most inspiring stories that Joseph tells, and he probably doesn't think much of it, but is, is when he, he used to, to work with a bunch of guys, and they referred to him as the preacher man. And if you know Joseph, you know why, because he's always telling people about Jesus. He's always preaching at work. He's telling them, and I love that about him. Even if it, even if it irritates people, he's still going to tell them about the love of Jesus. And they referred to him as a preacher man, and he worked with some guy, and many, 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 many years later, this guy saw him again, and, and how do you think he referred to Joseph? A preacher man. Hey, it's the preacher. All those years later, he was still referred to as Man, I want people to know that about me. Years later to say, hey, you're the one that was always talking about Jesus. You're the one that loved God and was always trying to... Sh- I mean, I think that would be... I want to be known as the, one of the guys who turned the world upside down. And I'm not there yet. But I'm working on it every single day. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to live more and more like Jesus every single day. I'm trying to have a greater impact in the lives of people that are around me. I'm trying to share at every opportunity. I'm trying to invite people to church at every opportunity. And it's hard sometimes because I invite people and invite people and nobody ever shows up. So you get discouraged, but I just, I want to keep living for Jesus. He's done so much for me. I don't want to give up on him. So I keep pressing forward. And when I make a mistake, when I don't look like Jesus, I want to apologize. I want to tell people that I'm sorry. That's not the way I should have behaved. I want to turn this world upside down for him. The next one that I wanted to talk about, we talked about our words, we talked about our actions, but the next big one, and this is probably the biggest one that's going to make an impact around you, is your consistency. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, our words and our actions have to match. That was one of the biggest things with the Pharisees and the scribes is Jesus constantly called them hypocrites. It's because their words did not match their actions. They would say one thing and completely do another. They were putting out mixed messages. And the problem is that's the same thing that happens to us. And when we mess up, people attribute what what we're doing to Christ, and Christ gets the reputation that that only we should have. That's why when you see these big name uh, evangelists or pastors on TV, and they 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 make a mistake, or they or, or maybe they're doing it intentionally, uh, they 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 end up dragging 
Jesus' name through the mud, and so many people have turned away from the faith because of what a man has done. And it's unfortunate on two sides. One, the uh, people need to realize that they're not serving a man, they're serving God. And no matter what man does, God is still God, he's still pure, and he's still holy. But all too often, we attach ourselves to, to the man, and if the man falls, it destroys our faith. So there's two sides to that. One is, as, as, as people, we need to never let ourselves get caught up like that and let, let what another man does affect our faith. But on the other side, we need to understand that what we do will affect other people's faith. We need to not drag his name through the mud. We need to be consistent. With what we say is what we do. Consistency is one of the ways that you'll have the greatest impact on people in your life because that's when they're finally going to say, you know what, they have something that I want. They have something that I need, and maybe I'll take the time to talk to them about it. And James, I really have no idea why the slides are keep changing all these different styles. It's very bizarre. James 1, 21 through 24 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. See, that's what being inconsistent looks like. You hear the word, you believe the word, you say the word, but then you do something completely different. And what I find interesting here is, is when he talks about this, he says, if you're going to be a hearer and not a doer, then what you're doing is basically, you're like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. This, I love the Bible and its simplicity and how it explains things. It's like you're sitting and you're looking at a mirror and you begin to, to examine your face and you begin to see all the parts about it and you remember what you look like, but as soon as you turn away, you forget what you look like. He says he looks himself and goes away and I once forget what he looks like. That's what happens when we hear the word and we believe it and then we walk away and live like something else. It's because we're looking at the word and, and you see what Jesus did inside of you. You're reading you're like, wait a minute, I'm victorious. The word says that in him I am strong. The word says that in him I am holy. The word says that in him I am victorious and I am an overcomer and I am more than a conqueror and that I am righteous, and that I am pure, and that I am set apart. You begin to read all these things, and you're beginning to see a picture of who you are in Jesus because of what He's done, not because of what you've done. And then, as soon as you set your Bible down, you, you forget all of those things. And instead of living your life like who you are in Jesus, you begin living your life like who you were. And there's a disconnect. There's an inconsistency there. We need to make sure that there's a consistency in what the Word says about us and the way that we live our lives. And the reality is, is that if you begin to realize that, wait a minute, Jesus has made me righteous, then you're going to begin to live righteous. Jesus has made me holy. You're going to begin to live holy. And the reality is, is that you can hear a sermon every single day of the week, but if it doesn't find fertile soil in your heart and grow and produce fruit, if you let the enemy steal it away, if you just forget about it, you look away and you forget everything that was said, it's not going to make an impact in your life. 
And the problem is, is that if you've told people that you're a Christian and you don't let it impact your life and there's no change, there's no growth, there's no nothing, then you're going to be like one of those Pharisees and scribes. And they're going to say, you're the hypocrite. And I know that's not what I want said about me. And I'm sure that's not what you want said about you. Live out what you learn about yourself when you're in here on Sunday morning. When you spend time in the morning or at night, whenever you do it, reading your Bible, live out what you find out, what you say. But don't immediately forget who you are as soon as you step, walk out the front doors of the church. Don't immediately forget who you are as soon as you set your Bible down. And then finally, not finally, in Romans 12, 18, It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is something super important, I think, as a Christian as well, is is we need to make sure that we are living peaceably with all, that we are not being a nuisance to people, that we're not uh, having strife and struggles with people. As Christians, we should be the first to say we're sorry, and we should be the first to ask for forgiveness. First, we need to know that we're not to play God judging everyone that we see. If somebody is not saved, it's not our job to judge them. If they're not Christians, don't expect them to act like it. And if they are Christians, the truth is is you need permission to speak into their life. Otherwise, you're not going to accomplish anything but tick people off. If you wrong somebody, apologize and ask for their forgiveness. This is your responsibility. Help people out. Don't make people's job harder. If you know somebody has something against you, go to them. Figure out what it is. The Bible says that if you're, you're standing at the altar and you realize that your neighbor has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make things right with your neighbor. It doesn't say if you have something against them. If they have something against you, go work it out. Figure it out. Apologize. If, you, if you've done something that, that, that caused, apologize. And don't do the, sorry, if I offended you. If they're upset, you offended them. Whether you meant to or not. Just say, sorry that I offended you. I didn't mean to. Can you please forgive me? It's that simple. And as Christians, we need to make sure that when somebody comes to us with a repentant heart saying, asking us to forgive them that we go ahead and do it. But what if they keep doing it, Pastor Wayne? The Scripture says that you forgive them seven times, 70 times, which just means forever. If they come to you with a repentant heart, continue to forgive them. And we need to make sure that we're showing the people that we know, whether they're Christians or whether they're not, whether they go to this church or whether they don't, that we love them in word and in deed so they can see Christ's love inside of us. If people could see Christ's love inside of you, you'll make the biggest difference in people's lives. That's going to be the number one way. It's going to give you opportunities to speak to them. It's going to give you opportunities to share the gospel with them, to invite them. It's going to make them just want to be around you. If you're a hypocrite and you're just kind of rude and you're kind of mean, nobody wants to spend time with you. And then finally, we will end here, I promise. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world, and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
the truth is, is that we're here to be seen. We are a light on a hill. We can't be hidden. We need to share with others. We need to share our faith. And one of the things that drives me crazy more than anything in the world is when people say, I don't want to push my faith on somebody. No, I'm not asking you to go and try to shove it down people's throat, but you can live your life in such a way that they'll ask questions or they'll see something in you that they, that they, that they, that they, might, that they desire, that they want. And you just share it every opportunity, not just keep it to yourself because you are a city on a hill to be seen, to, be, to shine. You are a light to the Gentiles. The reason why it drives me crazy when people say I don't want to push my faith on anybody because all I can think of is how little do you care about them? If you really believe that they're going to hell, if you really believe that they are lost without Jesus, why wouldn't you tell them about it? So the, re- the question is, do you not really believe that? Or are you that selfish that you want to go by yourself? And even worse than that is when people tell me they don't want to push it on their kids. They don't want to, to you know, want my kids to make their own decision. Well, if you're not going to preach to your kids, I promise you the world is. And the decision they make is not the one that you're going to like. It's hard enough to get them to make the right decision when you're actively involved in their lives, let alone if they're not. Remember, church, you are the light of the world, and you are set on a hill, and it can't be hidden. The things that you do will be attributed to Jesus Christ, whether they're good or whether they're bad. So let's live our lives in such a way that we are shining brightly for Jesus and not dragging his name through the mud. And let's make sure we're sharing at every opportunity because the truth is there's so many people out there that have no hope. They're destined for an eternity in torment without God. Unless we share with them. Unless we can show them the love of Jesus. And the number one way that you're going to do that, that you're going to be a light, is to live out Christ's love in you. Amen? And let's go ahead and bow our heads.